Hello and welcome to the first episode in a new series, Gippsland Anglicans On Air, with thanks to our friends at Life FM for this opportunity to share something of our story with you and our life and work. I'm Richard Trelaw, the Anglican Bishop of Gippsland, and I'm joined by the Dean of our Cathedral here in Sale, Karen Terpstra. And we're having this conversation on the lands of the Briakalun clan of the Gunai Kurnai peoples. Grateful for their stewardship of the earth and waterways of this region over tens of thousands of years. Paying our respects to their elders, past and present, and to all First Nations people who may be listening. Mm -hmm. And committing ourselves again and afresh to the gospel ministry of reconciliation. Karen, thanks for being my conversation partner today as we reflect on the question what it means to be an Anglican and I guess if you ask uh, 10 Anglicans that question you're going to get 11 different answers (laughs) but um, as someone who started their faith journey in a different tradition what was it that drew you personally towards Anglicanism? Yeah it's such a good question Um, and I suppose you know from my point of view this is about the um, the leading of the spirit um, overall and and it being drawn from one tradition to another doesn't devalue the tradition you've Absolutely. come from. Um, I, I grew up in the Dutch Reformed and then Presbyterian churches, so a very strong Calvinist um, Reformed sort of outlook on things. Um, and my experience of that was um, of, of a God who was quite, you know, everyone was under the thumb, while we miserable offenders sort of um, language. And so for me, coming into the my exposure to the Anglican Church was to a, a body which was obviously quite alien from where I had come, where I was coming from, and we were raised that way too to see it that way. But right from the start, a real sense of generosity. And a bit later in the show, we're going to be listening to a piece. Um, the Magnificat, which is part of Evensong, and that was something that was very formative for me because on Sunday evenings, I grew up in Sydney, um, we used to listen to Anne Ramsey on 2MBS FM doing um, Evensong, and she would play some of these classic choral and organ music that was so um, so much for me a way of um that encaptured that real sense of generosity that Anglicanism, I think, the Anglican outlook offers um, in a way that, um, you know, you're invited, to, we're not invited to check our brains at the door, we're invited to use our reason and our thinking um, and to wrestle with the scriptures, you know, that they're not just on face value, there's actually much more value to be to be um, dug into by in, by inquiring and by interrogating and, and applying different ways of looking at um, a scripture passage to really mine the depths of it. Um, mm-hmm. So yes, so there's this real generosity that I've experienced through Anglican, the Anglican approach to things, um, which really was the the locus in which God called me. And you mentioned the importance of music. You you were an organ scholar, and and are an accomplished organist in your own right. And so worship clearly was very important to you as an avenue to Mm. Anglicanism, but it's also very important for Anglicans too, isn't it, worship per se. Worship is a little Latin phrase, lex orandi, lex credendi, which means that the law of prayer is the law of belief. Mm. So worship for Anglicans really holds up a mirror and and shines a lamp on what it is that we believe. Mm. Um, 
and it's worship that, as you were alluding to, engages all our senses. Yes, yes, and that was one of the other things that really appealed to me, um, that even the difference between the Sydney Anglicanism of the day that I stepped into as a young adult um, you know, there, there was this real engagement with, you know, robes. And so you had the visual and the movement of people around the church. This is at St Andrew's Cathedral in Sydney. Um, and the, the experience of the organ thundering in your chest. Yes, you feel it. <laughs> you can feel it rumbling. And even the smell of the lilies that um, that were in the vases either side of the, the, um, the for them, the holy table, I call it the altar, Um you know that, that those were all things, and and as I as I went on in my Christian journey, having had a real experience of, of God touching me with God's love, um, you know, I moved into towards a different expression of Anglicanism, which which had you know the incense and the bells and the smells, like literally the bells. You know, through my through my um, early years at uni, I was actually a bell ringer, so I'd go from tower to tower in Sydney, in, in Sydney, actually ringing the church bell. So it's that whole that invitation to the whole engagement, even even the act of kneeling to receive communion. We don't really do that these days because most of our congregations have uh, needs that if you if they knelt, they'd never get up again. <laughs> Um, but you know, certainly, it's that whole that invitation to use the whole body in worship, and and the fact that God engages us because we are embodied creatures. Mm. God engages us through the whole of our material existence and experience. So it's more than just an aesthetic, isn't it? I mean, we love a bit of colour and movement, as you're saying, but it's more than just because it's beautiful. It's actually got something to do with what Anglicans sometimes describe as an incarnational. Spirituality, yeah, is yeah. that a phrase that yeah. you could just unpack for us a little bit? Yeah, for sure. So when we talk about the incarnation, what we're meaning is um, the idea that in Jesus Christ, God became one of us. God is one of us and walks alongside us. And what that tells us about God is that it's not about just what you think in your head, yeah. <laughs> um, the old chorus's prayer, but and it's not just what you believe. It's also about what you feel, what you experience. Um, because God cares about material existence. It's not just, um, you know, there was this otherworldly other thing, exactly. Or um, in the early church there's, there was this idea called Gnosticism where basically everything, everything material was evil and only the spiritual was good. But I think Anglicanism at its best affirms that, no, created reality is good. God's goodness shines to us through it. Um, and the end point of all things that are, that is the the universe, the world, our lives, is this idea that God will be all and in all. Um, and that's really um, we're talking about an incarnational spirituality, as you say. It's that future oriented, but very strongly this sense of God's presence in the here and now, drawing us towards that future. Mm, something very grounded and earthy about mm. that. Absolutely, yeah. which which also leads us into other things like, well, if God cares about our material reality, if we are walking in step with God's spirit and if we are following Jesus' way, then we too will be caring about the material reality in which we live, uh, whether that's the conditions of other people or the conditions of our environment. Mm. You mentioned before when you were talking about your own journey um, the importance of being able to engage your intellect, I guess, and, and mm. I think you used the phrase not checking your brain at the door and, and how important 
uh, God-given gift of human reason is. It's sometimes been said that the interplay of scripture and reason and tradition as kind of set out by one of our classic theologians back in the 16th century, Richard Hooker, that that's been described as the sort of Anglican method. The three-legged stool. Yeah, three-legged stool, and, and mm. if you pull any one leg out, the whole thing falls over. But how does that how does that work, trying to hold those things in tension and, and keep them in conversation with each other? Yeah, well, as, as, ex, as all people experience, that can be a challenge from time to time because... Um, you know, what, what happens sometimes in church community, which is what we mean by tradition. We're not talking about tradition as in, you know, it's always a tradition to bring out the Christmas tree at Christmas. It's, we're talking about tradition as something which is embodied, again, that really key word, um, embodied in community, in, in community yeah. exactly, that, that lived reality of what it is to follow Jesus, that Christians through the years have um, the, the wealth of experience that that's gathered Um so we're not bound by it. Um, we use it as a guide. Um, but sometimes that tradition can set us somewhat at odds with um, what's going on in our contemporary society or with um, the discoveries that science and advances that science have made. So one of those examples would be back in, back, you know, 40 years ago would be the question about remarriage and divorce, which is a really challenging thing, or even um, IVF, you know. And, and back in the day, these were really key issues within the churches precisely because of what tradition told us about and what the scriptures told us about, um, uh, you know, God's valuing of human life um, and that question about what happens at the point of conception. So hence questions about abortion. So these are really these issues, you know, we're not just talking about some nice thing, abstract abstract yeah. thing yeah. saying scripture, tradition and reason. This is actually where the rubber hits the road with really serious questions of ethics and yeah. morality and values. So um, the, the thing I will say, though, about it is um, Anglicans, I think, value the use of our brains and the connection and the wealth of the experience of Christians who have walked before us. But we always hold that first and foremost in the light of Scripture. Um, scripture is um, the primary light that gives direction to our lives, um, the primary source of authority, which means, you know, how we have the wherewithal to do what we do and to think what, you know, God wants us to be thinking. Mm. Uh, and certainly, um, again, for Anglicans, that's not just a sort of, well, Scripture says, God said it, the Bible says it, I believe it. It's not, mm. you know, if we're going to reduce it to that, that's not where Anglicans sit. Um, it's more more to say, well, um, we engage with Scripture in a number of ways to um, suck the marrow out of it, if you'd like, to suck the goodness out of it. Um, through the fact that we use scripture in, we're encouraged to engage with a daily cycle of readings, uh, um, which go through the whole year, which cover the whole of the scriptures. Those of us who are doing morning and evening prayer will be engaging with that. Not just our favorite texts. Not just saying. our favorite texts, and um, you know, many many Anglicans, not all, but many, will also use the what we call the Revised Common Lectionary, which is a series of. Um, readings for each Sunday, which are shared across a number of Christian denominations, including the Catholics, the Lutherans, some Baptists, um, the United Church, you know, various other people, 
And, and it, that gives us in every worship service the potential for four readings. Mm. Um, so we, we take scripture really seriously. That um, same theologian I mentioned, Richard Hooker, talked about a scripture-informed reason. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And, and that reason being shaped not just by um, reading the word but and not just by sitting down and going, well, the Greek says this and therefore I need to do what with whatever with my life. It's also about letting it soak into the marrow of our bones so our whole existence is shaped by, you know, in the words of the, the ordination service, according to the pattern of Christ set out in the scriptures. You know, um, you know, we talk about the word of God. Jesus is God's word spoken to us. But we also find him in the pages of the scriptures. Mm. So that so for that reason, and again, that word embodied, I come back to that word embodied and incarnational, that it's even in the words that are spoken to us, the words as we experience them, that um we find that powerful leading and guiding of God through the through the mm. being having that graved into our hearts. Mm. So God's word written points us to God's word living and embodied in, mm. in Christ, yeah, and, and in us, yeah, mm. like that. Of course, in, in Anglican worship, as you mentioned earlier, one of the great traditions is the, um, in the Book of Common Prayer is, is Coral Eden Song, which um, uh, sets key passages of scriptures, those beautiful the Psalms and, and the New Testament canticles or songs to, to what was then contemporary uh, choral music. And um, one one of the classic examples of that, I think, is the Magnificat, um, Mary's song of praise when she discovers that she's going to be the mother of Jesus and she actually foreshadows the gospel, the good news that's going to be embodied uh, in him. And so we wanted to play for you um, a setting of the Magnificat uh, by Charles Stanford and it's sung by the choir of Durham Cathedral and we hope you enjoy it.
welcome back to Life FM, where you're listening to Gippsland Anglicans on air uh, with Richard and Karen from Sale. And uh, there's lots of great contemporary Anglican music, which I'm sure you'll hear in the weeks ahead as this new series unfolds. But that's something from our roots, way back from the 1662 Book of Common Prayer, um, set by uh, Stanford, of course, in the KFC, sung by the choir of Durham Cathedral. And great gusto. Great gusto, indeed. I was saying before we heard that, Karen, that the Magnificat, that song of praise from Mary's lips, really sets out the gospel that's about to unfold mm. in Luke's gospel, and it's good news, but it's not always easy news, is it? One of the lines there in the Old English, he hath filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's challenging, mm. isn't it? Yeah. How does our... Worship, even in something that sounds so glorious and beautiful, how does it challenge us and, and send us out in our mission in that way you talked about, that embodied way that we, if we're in step with the spirit, our materiality matters and so does other people's and so does that of all creatures? Yeah, that's a really um, key question because, what again, we come back to the Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi, the things that we sing, the things that we hear, the things that we pray, then inform our lives, um, and uh, that's that's why when it comes to the music that we sing in church, whatever the whatever the origin of that, whether it's contemporary or what we experienced, or even more ancient than that, really needs to be chosen very carefully by those preparing worship, precisely because it shapes and forms us for what we need to be doing in the world. Um, and in, in the case of the Magnificat, of course, what better thing to be singing than the words of Scripture inspired, we believe, inspired by, by God, on, spoken on the lips of Mary in, this, in the Gospel of Luke, which is about and proclaiming that, that, um, that idea of, you know, God has raised up the humble and meek and, and cast down the mighty off their thro- from their thrones. Um, and the, fir- the first place that starts, of course, is with ourselves because um, it's a reminder to us that we're not in charge. It's a reminder to us that where we are, you know, and let's face it, the majority of us here in this place um, are better off, I think, than 80% of the world or something like that. 80% of the world lives on less than $1 a day US. Um, so it's a reminder to us that um, it starts at home with us to examining our own hearts and going, well, am I among the poor or am I among those who are rich? That you know, or, or is it more about the attitudes that that brings? Mm-hmm. You know, the attitudes of the rich, which is often associated with haughtiness and putting ourselves over and above mm-hmm. um, other people. So what does that look like, for example, at the cathedral where you're based? <laughs> is there an example of that mm-hmm. kind of outreach? That 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 kind of attitude of heart, um, whereby our our beliefs, our convictions, send us out to to endeavour to meet the needs of those those in our community. Yeah, that's a that's and that's a lovely and embodied question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is that we've got a number of people at the cathedral who, and I'm speaking about people here because yeah. it's people who embody this. Yeah. Um, wonderful folk who are involved in a, in a range of local um, charities and organisations that seek to meet the needs of those who are vulnerable and suffering. And I see regularly amongst those people the impact of what they're, what they're experiencing in and through worship is lived out 
in their weekly lives. So I'm thinking about those who, for example, serve at the food bank. Mm. And we, we we also have a food pantry that um, there's a bit of a, a, um, a coming and going between the two. We share share resources to that end. And I think also of the way, you know, that's a really concrete way in which we are literally meeting the needs of the hungry, you know, fulfilling those words of scripture, you know, God is filling the hungry with good things. We're part of that mission. Um, but it's also in more subtle areas, like I'm thinking about we had a book fair uh, in January and almost everyone from the congregation was involved in um, being helpers and helping to do stuff with books and greeting people and, um, you know, and we had so much wonderful feedback about how um about the, the connections that were made with community members and about how people valued the friendliness mm-hmm. and the outlook that and those people were and the hospitality, exactly. Uh, and so I think all of that, um, those are, that's actually a really good manifestation of Christian community at work, um, that it's not just a fundraiser, as one of our lay leaders said, uh, reflecting on it, but it was a fundraiser as well and that it, it developed our fellowship together mm. but also embraced the wider community. And I think if we're talking about characteristics of the way Anglicans engage with issues of justice and social need, embracing the wider um, society, wider um, social context and offering space with, you know, I'm making a gesture here with open hands which which are there to catch and there to hold. Is, is um, that part of what it means? Sometimes Anglicans, you know, think of being part of a broad church. Is that part of what's meant by that image of, of being in a broad church, that openness, that capacity to hold together intention, things that seem quite disparate? Yes, I think you're I think you're right. And this again, <laughs> it's not just well as this aspect and that aspect, but they they feed into each other, don't they? That that same generosity we accord to those who are inquiring, those who are seeking um, a space to be able to explore without judgment, to be to be able to use their brains and to interrogate things and to ask their questions and to, uh, you know, it means that um, we we can, we the Anglican Church has always been a via media, a middle way between, um, you know, strong Catholic beliefs and strong Protestant beliefs We've always trodden that middle way historically um, and because of that breadth that we inherited at the time of the Reformation, um, we've got space for all of those perspectives and in between as well. Now, that's not to say that's an easy thing. You know, we can say that we will certainly, you know, I value, you value diversity and uh, the um, the mob. Yeah, the multiplicity of voices and the richness that that brings to our experience together. Um, But there are limits to that and sometimes when it comes to making a decision about something, there's a classic (laughs) Anglican fudge that they talk about, you know, well, you can think this and you can think that and ultimately we all sit within within God's care and that drives some people nuts. (laughs) Hence my opening remarks about yeah, ten Anglicans and eleven opinions. Exactly, yeah. and and it, it it comes down to the wire when you've got where those where those positions that hold very strong views end up colliding. Um, so, in my view, the Anglican Church at its best is where we can actually listen to each other in a very deep way, mm-hmm. and 
I I would hope that one of the gifts that we bring, because this is, again, within the framework of the wider Christian community, one of the gifts that Anglicanism offers, is that um, when we can listen deeply to each other, we there are gifts that we have to receive from the other that, that we're sitting with. Um, so what we do at home as Anglicans you know, with the very competing ideas of, you know, very conservative, the more conservative views and the more progressive views, um, which are not always in a happy, happy um, unity. Um, nevertheless, if we can if we can commit to that process of deep listening to each other and continuing to love one another, that is the true unity rather than a unity of thought. And, and that's something that we bring to the wider ecumenical conversation um, mm. as a witness and also as a as a resource, I think, mm. um, to making some sort of rapprochement between the very, well, we say fractured, but again, is it fractured or is it diversity? Mm. Um, in terms of, um, you know, coming together. Yeah. Well, Karen, it's, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. There's, there's so much more we can talk about. Perhaps we'll have to have a what it means to be an Anglican part two conversation um, sometime. But um, next week uh, on this series, Archdeacon Sue Jacker, our colleague uh, from Morwell, is going to be leading a conversation about Anglican approaches to care for the environment, picking up on some of the things you've alluded to today. So please do tune in for that. And our thanks again to uh, Life FM for their wonderful hospitality in, in hosting this series. And if you want to know a little bit more about Gippsland Anglicans, please just head to our website, just search Gippsland Anglicans and you'll get there. Thanks for listening in today. We'll be with you again next week. Cheerio. Cheerio.